freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. And Brooke Roy, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Oh, all kinds of fire here on a Friday morning. Brock and Salt, Seattle Sports on 710. Brock, uh... Good morning. I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. You saw Jackson Smith and Jigba's catch? I did. Pretty smooth. Pretty natural. Pretty, pretty effortless. The way he blows by people, finds himself wide open, and naturally extends his arm for that catch. A one-hand. Just one. Just just one. But it doesn't even look like a one-handed catch because he does it so smoothly. Yes. Dude's pretty nasty. Now, to be fair, Mike Jackson and I don't know who the safety was are just, they're livid. This morning, or and actually yesterday. Because it looks like they got torched. Yeah, because they're just going to blow him up, right? That safety is going to unload on him, and that's one of the the challenges the first few days of camp for the defensive guys, especially before the Pats come on. And as a QB, well, but nobody's probably, blaming them. They're just saying it was a great catch. No yeah, one's saying, catch. oh, these guys got torched. No, it was a great they're catch. They're just saying it, it, the, the movements and the way. But Salky, they're competitive, and right. they're frustrated, and All right, they're well, irritated. All I'll right? tell you what. We're going to talk to Kobe Bryant today at 8 o'clock. You can ask him about that. You can ask him if he's pissed off yesterday because people were getting excited about oh, what Jackson Smith and Jigba did, okay? Yeah, I, you know, I will. I know you will. You're, you're, you've got those. You're very, uh, very brave. Especially on a Friday. On Fridays, I get a little free and loose. Think we so? know that. Well, on a I think. Friday? Yeah, I think the last couple Fridays I've worked, I've said some things that have been, yeah. you know, just gross. a little inappropriate and gross. Yeah, gross. And, I think it's the right word. Yep. Yeah. And so that's just what you get when you get me on Friday. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we said we would talk a little bit about this yesterday, and I'd like to kind of start the show. We'll do a little Mariner to conversation to start, and then by 7.30, uh, we'll be digging into a, quite a bit of football over the course of the morning. But. I, I keep hearing the promos. I had an hour plus drive to and from yesterday to to go to Port Orchard to go to this golf tournament. Very interesting day. Uh, you ever seen anybody uh, hit a golf ball without swinging a golf club? Without swinging a club? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I saw a guy at a tournament, the Seahawk tournament up there. They do it. So call me Ridge before the the senior event. Who had to swing with one arm? Yeah, no, not that. I've seen a one-arm guy. No, this guy uh, loads up this thing with gunpowder, and he calls it his uh, 22 wood. And when he clicks a button, I've just sent you the video for it, Brock, if you feel like you need to see it. Uh, the ball explodes off of a non-moving club, and uh-huh. he can put it in whatever spot he wants, like <laughs> dial it into 220 or 180 or 140 or whatever. What? And that uh, is how he plays golf. Then he chips and putts. Yeah, so I've sent that over to you. Shout out how, to Dan. How loud, how loud is that? Depends on how much powder he puts in. <laughs> so if it's just like a little like 120-yard shot, go check your phone. I just sent it oh, to you. It's like a, if it's like an 120-yard shot, not that loud. If it's a drive, it sounds like someone's lighting off a cannon in the middle of a golf course. <laughs> Remember how loud it was when Taiwan Walker was hitting golf balls a couple holes over? Yes. Not that yes. loud. But Not close. Don't worry. It doesn't matter how loud the music is in the background. Here. Right. I mean, it oh. is crazy. And, you know, it's got a sweet little draw to it. And, uh, yeah, puts it right in the middle of the fairway every time. Very valuable when you're in a scramble. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, anyway, that was uh, that was my day yesterday. And as I was driving, I had a lot of time to listen to the station. A little jealous 
of the other shows that are over at training camp. I'm not going to lie. It was kind of bumming me out a little bit. But mm-hmm. I keep hearing the promos, one for Bump and Stacy, where Stacy says if they trade Paul Seawald, they're waving the white flag. They're signaling it is the end of the season. They are done. And there's another one with Bob saying very much, you know, the pretty much the same thing. Right. And I, I, I've been thinking a lot about those two quotes because in, in some ways they're right. In some ways, they're absolutely right. If if they trade Paul Seawald for 19-year-old prospects yes, and don't do anything on the buying end, you're right. They are admitting mm-hmm. that this team's not good enough and they're folding for this year and playing for next season. And Jerry sort of told us, yeah, we may end up going in that direction. There are scenarios, though, in which you trade Paul Seawald and are not giving up on this year. And Mm -hmm. I I don't think it's fair to signal that that one move would be everything. If they buy and sell at the same time and get major league pieces for Paul Seawald, Mm -hmm. are you really just selling and giving up on this year? Or are you dealing from a position of strength in order to shore up a position of weakness? Yes. Yes. I, I I would say the latter right there. And I would tend to on this Friday and... Jerry was really clear with us yesterday, and he just replayed it, and that is the final 72 hours is when you're going to start to see this fire hose go, maybe even the, the last 24 to 48 hours is this weekend's a big weekend, not just for the Mariners, but 21 of these 30 teams that are still within six and a half games. Right. So, yeah, I, I if, if they were to make that move and bring in a bat or two at the major league level that we have talked about, and all of a sudden, Mr. Munoz is going to be in a whole lot more of those leverage spots in the ninth inning, those save situations, or Matt Brash maybe in some of those save situations in the ninth inning. Are you waving the white flag? And Justin Topa, who's had a really, really good year. I mean, like, there are, are you waving? Are you waving the white you are. flag? No. It depends on what you're getting back and what else you're doing. So, could they trade Paul Seawald in a buying scenario? Yes. I absolutely believe they could, and I don't know that it would be the wrong move. I know the team got mad after the Kendall Graveman thing, but they did play better after that. Well, and they while, knew Abraham Toro before well, I knew Abraham And while Toro. Abraham Toro was not a good player, I know how much you can't yeah. stand him, Brock. Yeah. That kind of move was not necessarily wrong. It was poorly timed. It was not well communicated. And so could they do something similar here and but bring in a piece that helps them right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Paul Seawald does have another year left, but... Dude's 33. I love him to death. Like, I love Paul Seawold. I will be, let me say this for the record. I will be bummed if Paul Seawold is dealt. Mm. Not because I think it'd be the wrong move, but because I just really, I like watching him. I like listening to him. I've enjoyed talking to him. There's nothing about Paul Seawold that I don't like. This whole story is phenomenal. I love him. And did did I call him Pete yesterday? Did I screw this up? It sounds like he kind of did. Are you sure? Well... I think you just sort of had a little like mush mouth and weren't exactly sure like Uh how you wanted to say it. Um, Yeah, yeah, we'll see if we can find that. We'll play that before the segment's over because I want to read you this uh, this quote here from from uh, from Ken Rosenthal. In his piece on what he's hearing at the deadline, he says, as interest in their pitchers mount, meaning the Mariners, they -hmm. are considering trading a starter. Mm -hmm. By the way, if they trade a starter, are they waving the white Mm -hmm. flag on this season? Mm-hmm. Trading a starter for a package that would include a hitter of similar age and impact, according to sources briefed on their thinking. Well, that's kind of interesting. Would you trade Logan Gilbert for the, your second baseman of the Cardinals? What's his name? Overlid? Brendan? Donovan? 
Donovan? I don't. I don't know. I can't tell you the answer to that. I haven't seen the guy play enough. I, the numbers make him look like an impact guy, but for me, he would be more of a Brian Wu or Bryce Miller type because they're both okay. sort of in that early spot. I mean, the thing about Logan Gilbert is. He, he's he's all of these guys. They've done mm-hmm. it in the big leagues, mm-hmm. right? I mean, to me, mm-hmm. this is more than your Brandon Williamson deal for Suarez and Winker because Williamson was still a double A prospect. Correct. You're talking about three guys who have had legitimate success in the in in the bigs. They're worth a whole lot more than Winker and Suarez. So if that's the case, and you are talking about dealing Logan Gilbert or any of these guys, you're talking about getting back a significant significant bat in return. Be careful. Be careful, though. Be careful, because you're comparing an off-season market to an in-season red-hot sellers market Maybe. with 21 different teams. Well, or you're not making that deal, right? I mean, like, it's like, hey, if we're doing this, we're only doing it because, and that's what Ken says, yep. Yep. a starter for a package that would include a hitter of similar age and impact. Yeah. So that actually puts the Mariners in the driver's seat, saying, look, if they're making a deal, it's Logan Gilbert for a hitter who's as good as him. Or Brian Wu, who's for a hitter who's as good as him, mm-hmm. as part of a package that includes more than that. Yeah, is that, that waving would, the white flag on this season? I don't. I or is don't, it trading from strength to help weakness? Yeah, I, I'd be very careful labeling it with a white flag if it's a buy sell situation. I'd be very, very careful doing it. And if we've seen how many times have we seen Jerry truly wave the white flag? How many times have we seen them? Well, truly to be honest, just he hasn't sell. had a lot of like pieces to just try. I mean, like they right. haven't had a lot of guys that fit that billing. To be honest Correct. with you, but Correct. the point is still a good one. And I, I just until we see the entirety, the whole scope of what they do and what they do first over the next four games, and then what they do by Tuesday, I, I don't want to call anything a white flag. I don't want to call anything going for it. I don't want to call anything at all. I don't even know what I want them to do yet, for God's sake. Did you sakes. pull out the white flag when the gunpowder came out, though? Were you I thought about like, it. Yeah. When, when Dan brought out the gunpowder. Right, here. Yeah. This is a little much. It was, it was a surprise. But you know what? Even with that, our group managed to bogey two holes in a scramble. So that's just that's... the kind of day it was yesterday out of Trophy Lake. All right. Coming up next. Oh, we'll wait, give you, do you want to hear Brock's? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brock, no, no, here, no, here's, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's oh, hear this. Oh, boy. Okay. What did I say? Hey, Colin, let me just give one last shout out. Okay. Uh, Paul Seawald. Mm. I don't know if you know that name, but no. he's going to be a trade ship for the Mariners. Loves you. Loves this show, <laughs> just as so many do as well. So keep an eye on Pete, Paul Seawald the next week. Oh. All right. All right. Pete Paul Seawall, yeah. What was that? I don't know. We were talking about Pete Carroll and just, I don't know, Peter, Paul, and Mary was in my head from ranks. I don't know. (laughs) Some sort of a, was this like a apostles thing or something? Maybe. Are they both apostles? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, in in, in their own way. In their own way. So are they not apostles? Well, Peter was an apostle. Paul was uh, an evangelist. I mean, he was Uh, even more so. You know, I always confuse those two. That's okay. But they're friends, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, he was Simon before he became Peter. I mean, oh we could gosh. continue down this. This is exhausting. Yep. I'm going to need a whole history lesson late. on this. We go. All right, we'll come next. right back, give you things you actually need to know on Brock and Salt. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, last year, it felt a little uncomfortable, I think, for everybody other than him. But this year, Geno Smith... It is 100% his team, and he knows it. I mean, there are advantages, you know, uh, having more reps, um, being able to rep more with uh, with the starters and with the guys. Um, but mentality-wise, nothing changes, you know. Nothing changes, and, and things can, can change quickly in the NFL. So I'm not really worried about 
uh, that type of stuff. You know, I just look forward to every single day to practice with my teammates. Uh, I'm surrounded by a bunch of great guys, and it's super fun just to be out there with them. And so that's that's what I look forward to. He's been working with both centers. Brock, day one was with Evan Brown. Day two was with Olu Oluwatimi. He's seen all his new weapons. Jackson mm-hmm. Smith and Jigba made a great catch yesterday. But I think it's really just the leadership with Gino and kind of taking what he did last year and not being satisfied with it. Uh, yeah, I can speak for myself, man. I just uh, had a really... Uh, bad taste in my mouth after that, you know, playoff game. Um, didn't want the season to end, and you know, I just kind of went straight to work. I just went to work, and you know, I was preparing for this opportunity this season. And I know the guys around me felt the same way. Everyone's growing. We're all growing together. This offense is growing. This team's growing. And uh, you know, like I said, we got to go prove it. You know, I'm not big on just talking. You know, I, I like to go out and make things happen. And so, you know, I think we have a great opportunity. And so, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Let me take this conversation two ways who's got a firmer grasp on the starting role Gino in Seattle Russell in Denver is it is it more Russell Wilson's Denver team or has Jarrett Stidham got a bigger slice than Drew Locke does I think that there is a legitimate conversation about that and what Russell's going to have to do this preseason to to prove no matter what Sean Payton says to prove the naysayers wrong Uh, number two the other side of it I don't know whose idea that was if that was Gino's trainer I, I don't think that came from Pete Carroll to continue to stay the whole length of the season all the way to the Super Bowl. But doesn't that remind you a little bit of what Jerry's talked about with his young pitchers? That, you know, they're not going to just shell Brian Wu. They're not going to shell Bryce Miller. Even when Wu gets near his innings limit, well, they're going to add a different starter. They're gonna, they want those guys to be around the entirety of 162 to see what it feels like, to, to have your body go through that. There's some wisdom in that. I, I've never heard any QB ever doing that before. Um, whoever idea was, and if it was Gino himself, that was a pretty brilliant idea. Bobby Wagner comes in yesterday at number 62 on the NFL Network Top 100 list, uh, number 29 last year. So he slipped a little bit, but got to wonder if that will be their top guy. I don't know whether I see anyone else on the team who will end up being rated higher than Bobby Wagner. Here's the second thing you need to know. Four games in the next four days, and they're kind of like playoff games for the Mariners because I think the results are just going to be an exaggeration, have a huge effect on what this team does at the deadline. We asked Jerry how important these four are. Uh, They'll play some, and they always do. Your team's performance should define what you do. And, you know, part of it is what happens. We typically focus on ourselves. And, and we try to maintain that throughout. But you get into this time of the year, especially around the deadline, and a lot of it does matter, you know, where you stand among other teams in the league and what the likelihood is of, of being able to, to jump that, that train, so to speak. Yeah, this time of year feels, well, it leads right into August and September where you start, the games start dwindling down and you start looking around you. What is everybody else doing around you? As we did all of September of last year, in an awesome way, and that was from out front or in the wild card position and others chasing behind and, and ultimately doing just enough with Cal Raleigh's home run to end that drop. But, yeah, this is a time where you do start to look around. And if you look around, bro, did you see what – I know you were on the golf course with gunpowder yesterday. Did you see what Otani did? Uh, yes. Bro, he's the greatest baseball player in the history of our lives, and it's not close. It's not close. The more that I think about what he is doing right now, and I put out a little tweet last night wondering if there could ever be, and there can't. There can never be a star quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the game, turning around and playing strong safety. Jake Locker? It's it's just not going to happen. You don't think Jake Locker could have been that? Uh, No. But he's so nice. His body couldn't hold up at playing quarterback. So totally different violent game, 
but what he's doing is just as extraordinary. A one-hit complete game shutout in the first game of the doubleheader, two bombs in the second to lead all of Major League Baseball in home run hitting. The dude you know is an be absolute like? It would beast. be like a goalie in hockey on his off nights playing wing and scoring a bunch of goals. Yes. I think that would be the only other comp I could come up with for it. Like, you're right. In football, I think some of that would be impossible. It would never happen in hockey. leading the team in goals. Right. Like, oh, he leads the team in goals, and he's their best goalie. What? (laughs) There's no way that's true. Here's the third thing you need to know. Brock. Mike. Brock. Michael. Brock. Did you read the Brock? Did you read the Pac-12 statement yesterday? Justin, can you please find Pete saying that so I don't have to do it anymore? Did you read the Pac-12 statement yesterday? No. No. Brock, they're going to. It's fine. It's okay. They wish Colorado well. It has no effect on them whatsoever. And as soon as they're done with their awesome media rights deal, they are going to be expanding. So to be fair, okay, to be fair, Colorado has been in the Pac-12 13 years. Do you know how many winning seasons they had in 13 years? It's not about that, and you know it. No, no, I understand. If you just swap. Colorado's a disaster. If you swap San Diego State, who went to the Final Four in basketball and has been a perennial top of the Mountain West football program. Would it matter? Yes, there's a difference. Because Because Colorado has always been a power conference school, and San Diego State never has been. But Utah wasn't, and Utah came aboard 13 years ago, and Utah's turned into a perennial power and two-time conference but champ and everything else. But you replacing USC, UCLA, and Colorado with Utah. <laughs> like I, I'm sorry, man. I love the spin. I'm going to do my Mitch McConnell I, I right now for 30 seconds, walk away. I'm not going to say anything. Well, that's good because... You know what? I'm not going to make the Joker's going to no, make I don't have Pete saying There's too it, many Brock, people that will be offended by the Joker's. I have Gross saying it if you want. Do you? I'm saying yeah. Salk for the third time in two days is flat out wrong. <laughs> I'm not wrong here. <laughs> no, I'm, that's I'm too not, mean. I'm not it's, wrong on this well, my, Pete's is Gross. more of a grandfather. David. Yeah. <laughs> Pete's is you. more of a grandfather no, to his no, grandson. No, that's not no, it. My, no, Mike. No, Mike. Mike that's Mike, not it at all, Mike. Was that about the... Is that about the big I, It's a, Any number of things, Mike. No. <laughs> Couldn't have no. anything. All right. That's everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. <sighs> yeah, it was one of the questions somebody had for me. It's like, man, is it hard, like, making people mad all the time? It's like, well, I don't really know if that's, like, what I set out to it's do in the morning. It's actually kind of my gift in life. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's really a goal. I mean, it's not what I wake up and, and in right. my mind to do, but it sure seems to work out I mean, that it way. works, but it's not necessarily, like, how I define myself. But uh, if that's what you think, like, hey, appreciate that, man. Like, no, I, I guess I, I can sometimes make people mad. All right. Uh, coming up next, Brock, a special version of Around the Station, because... You know, we're not out at training camp, although we are going to talk to Kobe Bryant today and looking forward to it. All the other shows are, and they've had some really good guests over the course of the last few days. Thought we'd give you guys a little sampling of it in case you haven't heard, and then uh, we'll react to some of what those guys have had to say as well. Stick around. We're talking football next. I'm Brock and Salk. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. 
Hey, don't forget, uh, Big Felix weekend is coming up next weekend at uh, T-Mobile Park. Friday is the post-game uh, fireworks show for Felix Hall of Fame weekend, and then his Hall of Fame induction is Saturday. Sunday are the Hall of Fame bobbleheads for the first 20,000 fans. So it's going to be a big celebration of Felix Hernandez next weekend at home for the Mariners. Make sure you get over there. Brock, we are yeah. unfortunately, I was jealous, I said yesterday, just kind of driving around listening to Bump and Stacy on my drive to uh-huh. to the peninsula. I was like, man, they're, they're having fun out there. Like a little yeah. extra energy, a little extra juice in what yep. they're doing. They got all these great guests coming on in person. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I, I kind of miss being I, out there. I remember that life? Yeah. No, I didn't like the cold. No, or the time of day or any of that uh-huh. stuff. But it's uh-huh. it's kind of nice being out there. You get a little extra energy and stuff. So yep. uh, good idea by you. We play a little of the sound from some of the other shows. We're going to talk to Kobe Bryant coming up in a half hour. Uh, yesterday, we spoke to Draymond Jones, who I thought was very insightful. Uh, day before that was DK Metcalf, who, again, has a lot to say, even if some of it was just about the way he cut his tuxedo pants that he got from Men's Warehouse. But uh, here was Julian Love, who was on yesterday uh, with Bump and Stacy. This offense has a chip on its shoulder. I mean, they're they're talking uh, they're talking you know crap with the with the best of them out here, uh, and they are competing. And so I haven't been around that too much. Usually it's a de- defense that always has that swag, the energy, yeah. and the culture here. I mean, it represents on both sides of the ball, uh, all three phases, special teams included. And so that's the biggest difference. You have the talent, you have the scheme, and then you have that swagger that comes with it on offense. And so I'm super excited to see these guys, but I'm also excited to whoop on them uh, during training camp. (laughs) All right, so that is Julian Love, uh, who's going to play some safety. But I thought it was interesting hearing him talk specifically about the offense on the other side and say that group over there has a chip on their shoulder. What does that uh-huh. mean to you? What do you well, hear he, there? Well, I hear a couple things. Number one, this is a guy that played at Notre Dame when they were not very good, especially offensively. Then he played with the New York Giants with Daniel Jones, maybe the most boring human being I've ever talked to in my life. Very nice guy. Just unbelievably paint-dry boring in an offense that had very few skill position guys at all in any swag. Right, It was kind of their defense, and then they've gone through how many different coaches. And I mean, they had crazy Ben McAdoo, right? So he's had to deal with all of that. And you come here, and it's like, oh, oh, there's Tyler. Oh, there's DK. Oh, there's Gino. And, you know, it, this is not a dormant offense. And this is not – and we have said this a lot about Pete, and I think it's one of his greatest strengths in his 14 years here, his whatever, 10 before that at SC, Salk. It is Saban, it is Belichickian, it is defensive-minded guys that could go and coach the offense. Mm. It is defensive-minded guys that don't just prioritize, my defense looks good. A lot of defensive coaches and, and coordinators have become head coaches. It is still about what? You know, you know it's a, they don't come off the field feeling great if, they're, if the offense performs and the defense doesn't. It's just in their nature. And I, I don't think Pete minds that at all. He wants them to swing and go for it and compete. And whatever side wins, wins. And I don't think that's an environment that Julian's been around. Yeah, so I I think that's part of it. And I think that's a good kind of takeaway from that. I think it was great. I, mean, I thought it right. was better than good. I wouldn't disagree with any of that. I, can I yes and that? Sure, absolutely. Um, because what I heard was just, I heard it took it in a slightly different direction, was more of like, an, what does it mean to have an offense with an edge, an offense with a chip on its shoulder? To me, it would probably say one of two things. Either they feel underappreciated and like they have to go out there and prove something. Mm-hmm. Certainly, if your offense is led by Geno Smith, that wouldn't be a big surprise, given that that's like his thing. Mm-hmm. And the other would be that they want to be physical. 
Right? If you got a chip on your shoulder, you're going out looking to maul people. You're going out looking to hurt people on the offensive side of the ball. You're looking to take the game to them rather than allowing them to take it to you. And I, I do think that's got to be a calling card still of this team, even with all the, the success they have or all the talent they have on the outside, wide receiver, et cetera. They have to be grounded in a physicality or else it just isn't going to work. Well, that was the recipe 12 through 16. I mean, that was exactly Breno Giacomini and Max Unger and all of them guys and Carpenter moving people, mauling people, breaking their will, and then throwing over the top of you, right? Which is what they did to, to a large degree last year. Gino was, was very efficient, but the explosive plays number I've referenced a number of times, right? Top seven in the league. That is still the DNA of Pete. He still wants you to hammer him and break the will of your opponent and then have the edge and the confidence and the swag to throw it right over their head as well. That's that's when offenses get pretty darn elite in this league. Well, so I like to hear that from a guy who's going up against them every day and has been in practice. Julian Love seems like he's going to be kind of an interesting character. Kind of mm-hmm. kind of curious to hear more from him. Insightful guy, been kind around a, a little bit. Good compliment to Quandre. Yeah. Quandre is an impulsive kind of live <laughs> wire, right? <laughs> and I think Julian like I'd love to see those two on the golf course. Because Julian, Notre Dame guy. He he's a golfer. Golf. Oh, yeah, he is he's a like golfer. an obsessed golfer. You think when, he would use one of the exploding golf clubs? No, I don't yeah, think probably he not. Would now, huh? The 22 so. would? Yeah. Nope, I don't think so. No. <laughs> I think he would go that route. You don't think that's the direction. But he's a good addition to this group for oh. sure. Uh, Charles Cross on the station yesterday as well. He was on with Wyman and Bob, I believe. Here is what the uh, big left tackle said about leadership on that offensive line. I feel like all of us are coming together up at once. But at the same time, everyone just try to, tries to lead by example. We were a real selfless group, so um, we, co- we coach each other up. We just try to keep learning and improving day by day. Can Charles Cross and Abe Lucas be the best tackle tandem in NFL history? Is, is, that, is, is that hyperbole to I ask? Mean, probably, or, right? Or is that a question that is fair? You're talking about the what was he? What pick was he in the draft? Number ten. He was the number ten pick in the draft. Abe Lucas was third round pick in the draft. Those two did something last year that had only been done, I believe, one other time. Uh, two rookies starting every game for the entirety of an NFL season. Do those two have the talent, the capability, the durability to be to come in together? I'm not talking about like there have been better tackle tandems oh, for oh, well, sure. That's what you said. So, oh, is that what I said? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that is what I said. It is a Friday. That's what happens to me on a Friday. I was Friday. trying to think. I was like, I mean, the Cowboys in the 90s were pretty good. And, like, I mean, there have been some pretty good tandems. As far out there. as guys that come in the door together, ah. it's going to greatly limit it because it rarely, rarely They might be the only ones. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, then if that's, the, if that's the way we're narrowing this Thank category, you. yes, Brock, they absolutely have okay, a chance. Well, let, okay. Let to me be do the it better. greatest two tackles who ever started their first games together. Let me do it. Let me take it then the right way. <laughs> do they have a chance to be the best tackle tandem in Seahawks? Now. Oh, you're having a conversation. Ray yeah. Roberts, if you're listening, do they have a chance to be the best tackle tandem? I think it was maybe Andy Heck and Ray Roberts, possibly. Uh, the best tackle to Sean Locklear was a good compliment to Walter Jones, and he was a good, sustainable player in the league, but he was not a dominant, dominant player, Pro Bowl player. Do those two have a chance to be Pro, pro Bowl tackles? You know what? And if you kind of laugh and scoff at the first question I had of the two greatest tackles, do they both have a chance to be Pro Bowl tackles mm. and grow together? And if so, how many how many O lines, honestly, in history, in your mind, have had Pro Bowl tackles together? I don't think there've been that many. So while it was absurd when it you know kind of first came out, the more that I think about it, 
Yeah, it's 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 hard to find two guys of that same athleticism and ilk and age kind of growing together. Yeah, I would say they certainly have a chance to be. I mean, you know, what what the group you mentioned, I mean, I've only been here since 2009, so mm-hmm. that's all I can talk about. The best years we saw here during the, our time together, Okung Brock, and Giacomini. Yeah, it would be Okung and Giacomini, and that's probably a pretty good comp for what these two it guys is. are, right? I mean, like, yeah. there's a lot of similarity between Russell Okung and and uh, yeah. and Charles, Charles Cross. Cross. They're not yeah. exactly the same, but nope. there's some similarity there in terms of the style of play and, and the body types, et cetera. I think Cross might be a little bigger, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's some similarity there. And then on the other side... Okung the, was longer, actually. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah Okung longer was longer and taller. Charles just thicker. as explosive, yeah. yeah. And then and on the other side, yeah, two I giants. Mean, Abe I mean, Lucas seems to be the closest we've had since yeah, Giacomini since, of, since of, of bringing that nasty. Yep, and I can't honestly, I can't think as he I said should through. Be, he should be better than Breno Giacomini. Yeah, he's I a better, just a better athlete. Better oh, he's player. a better athlete. I mean, now, like, Breno was an absolute mauler and just madman. <laughs> he played past that edge a lot. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Text toy, let me know. Let me know the best tan- tackle mm-hmm. tandem that comes to mind in Seahawks history because I can't, as I said, Locklear, Jones played in the Super Bowl, right. obviously Giacomini and, and Russell Okung did. But, well, yeah, let that's me, a good group. Uh, let me go back to Julian Love for a minute here, Brock, for another around the station because, again, on yesterday, or maybe it was actually two days ago with Bump and Stacy, but he uh, was asked about – Three safeties. You know what they call that sometimes? Hmm. Big nickel. Okay. I think the game's changing a little bit these past, you know, five or so years, especially. You just try to get your best athletes on the field. Yeah. Especially in our division, you look at you. You need to be able to cover tight ends. You need to be able to stop the run. And so that leads itself yeah. to you know you want to have a mobile uh, type of nickel slash you know weak backer, um, and that has shown itself in three safeties being on the field. And so, yeah, yeah, I think we're going to try to incorporate a lot of that. It's going to require all of us to be able to multitask and play various roles. And I think that's when you can really be effective. So you mean big nickel? Mm Mm-hmm. Did you hear him slip in a little mobile linebacker there? Will linebacker? I did hear that. Yeah, that's Jamal. By the way, that's going to be Jamal. The the more that I think about this, the more that I feel this, whenever Jamal comes back, I think it's going to be a lot of Jamal. Just in retrospect, the Julian Love move, while we talked a lot this offseason about Jamal and where's Jamal and can you cut Jamal and what's a post-June 1 cut, I don't think that was ever in their plans at all. And Pete said as much because first and foremost, mm-hmm. they're going to try to get every last drop out of the Jamal Adams deal. And the last drop is going to be him playing an yeah. agile mobile. Because if he gets linebacker. hurt at that point, he's not going to be here next year anyway. So, That's I right. mean, they can sort of take that risk. He's able to play nickel. He's played special. He's played the uh, the big nickel. And – uh I gave that one to him. <laughs> Pete press conference. See, but, in, but in this case, big nickel on his yeah, But in this case, it's not even the big nickel. No, it's more it, of a... A Will linebacker. Yeah. It is more of Julian and Jamal, and you could have Devin Witherspoon no. at nickel, and you could have Jamal at Will Mobile, Will linebacker. There's a couple of things I like, though, about what he said. Jokes about big nickel aside. One, getting your best athletes on the field. Just trying to find a way to get great athletes mm-hmm. on the field. Mm-hmm. Two, the effect that offenses are having on what kind of personnel you want on defense. And in the last few years, the rise of the tight end. I'll never forget, Brock, you telling me sort of for the first time when the Patriots put out Aaron Hernandez 
and uh, and Gronk, uh-huh. and you were saying, hey, look, this is why this is so difficult to defend. Both guys can block, both guys can receive, and yeah. you don't know what it is they're going to be running out of any because the the it's twelve the personnel, personnel that can just as easily dictate. be eleven. That's right. It's twelve personnel that can play as eleven. Personnel. You were the first person to kind of explain that to me, and I've I've watched. It's grown in the NFL ever since as the tight end has become more and more of a valuable position. Well, how do you stop tight ends? You got a, a, a bunch of these safeties. And it also seems to be one of the ways they're stopping the spread offense is by trying to be That's physical it. when those guys come across the middle. Yeah. The whole spread offense is speed and space, and there's more space in the college game because of the hash marks, but you are seeing more and more of these NFL teams incorporate those same formations and concepts and create space. And but if get all you have is corners, guys. it feels like those guys get lost. They're just like, like As fast as they are, there's so much space. Yep. You need some safeties who can run with the more physical guys and be able to hit when the little guys come across the middle. You better be positionless in some ways and you better be versatile yeah well that's and what safeties then, are yep and that's and that's what the secondary is and that's what devin witherspoon and julian love and Jer- jarek reed and the, the moves that they have made have been trying to incorporate those kind of guys and kobe bryant's a perfect example kobe was an outside corner we'll talk to him in 15 minutes at cincinnati he was the jim thorpe award winner he was the best secondary player in college football as an outside corner he's transitioned to the nickel yeah, you better have versatility in today's NFL. He's not a big nickel, though. Oh, no, no. He's more no. of a regularly sized regularly, nickel, just regularly. kind of a normal nickel. Yep. Let's do a normal or maybe even extra-sized Blue 88. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewart breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Brock, it was a great catch from Jackson Smith and Jigby yesterday. Just the effortless nature in which he reached out with his left hand, hauled in that pass one-handed, and just he's just very smooth. Justin said earlier he's like water. He's just, he's very smooth. He flows mm. into wherever he needs to be. We asked DK for a comp. He said he doesn't like comps. Mm-hmm. Will you give us a comp? Yeah, I'll give you a comp. Oh. He is actually a blend of the two guys I played with in Indianapolis. If you blended Reggie Wayne's body type with Marvin Harrison's movement skills, you and probably Reggie's speed, right? Reggie was not a, a blazer. You know, Jackson in a 40-yard dash is not going to be a blazer. But his body control and his short area quickness is off the charts. I think if you blended those two guys together, you might come out with a Jackson Smith and Jigba. And I I just can so remember these things. Sometimes my memory is really good. Sometimes it's not so good. And the things that are in there and like embedded in my brain, I I don't think I will ever forget. I will never forget my first minicamp with Indianapolis. Getting out there, flight was delayed. So I didn't get to be a part of like the Friday practice. I'm a part of the Saturday uh, practice mini camp. Called Molly from the hotel that night, and I was like, "Can't do it. Can't play. <laughs> I, can't, I cannot do this. What Peyton Manning does, I cannot do, and will never be able to do." And bless her heart, she was like, "Rock, it's your first day. You're just not going to be perfect." <laughs> I mean, she's right. You know, it's just there's a lot to learn. It's a foreign language. Just baby steps and. Yeah, I mean, two years later, I felt a little better, but certainly if I had to play, it would look nothing like Peyton was able to do. However, however, I threw a comeback on that first practice, and I'm like, crap, leaves my hand. And you know, kind of like you with your driver yesterday, you know, like, crap, and that's not in play. Crap, that's out of bounds. Like, that leaves my hand. I'm like, uh-oh, that's way overthrown, especially to Marvin, who's not the biggest guy. And then he goes up 
and just snags it. It makes it look good and gets his feet down. I'm like, what was that? Well, that's fun. I mean, that was that was amazing. That was like Gumby plus Michael Jordan. You know, like that his body movement and athleticism and flexibility off the charts. And that's what this kid has. I, I, that's a lot of hype. That's two Hall of Famers. But just body movement, feet, short area quickness, balance. We saw it at Ohio State. First game he ever played. You and I were watching it somehow, some way. I think you texted me. We're like, dude, did you just see that? Because he came in with G's son. Did you just see that? I'm like, I did. I've never seen that. He was totally going out of bounds. His whole body was going to the Ohio State band. The best band in the land was ready to catch him. And then somehow, some way, he how did he put a foot down? How did Spidey Sense do that? He's pretty special kids. Yeah. Why it took him a 20. Really looking forward to that. We'll talk more about that with G uh, at 8.30. Question number two. We sort of gave this away earlier, Brock, but could we ever see a Shohei Otani equivalent in the NFL? You have to have a quarterback, right? What he's doing no. is a pitcher. Well, that's never going to happen. Quarterbacks aren't even athletes. So come on. Like, real... Oh, oh, I'm just kidding. Oh, watch your Other than... No, you're right. It will never happen to quarterback. I mean, because people immediately were like, well, Dion did it. Yeah, but Dion was a specialist, and, and you, you were going to see... I Somebody mean, Bo, who plays legitimately Bo Jackson, Bo Jackson, Bo Jackson could have possibly done it. Bo Jackson could have played running back, and he could have played well linebacker or strong safety. He could have. He was that caliber of athlete. I think it would take that caliber of body type. But the pounding these NFL running backs take, they just form their own committee. Poor old man Ursay had to get on, on the phone yesterday and, and talk the running backs down off the ledge because they're not even getting paid because they can't sustain it running back alone. We will never see in football what Otani's doing. To your point, I mean, basketball is just two-way anyway. To your point, hockey would be utterly fascinating. I mean, that's never going to happen either. Do you think that if there wasn't for the physical pounding, though, you could? Yeah, I mean, I saw Billy Joe Hobart be an elite All-American high school quarterback in strong safety. Jake Locker was an All-American high school quarterback in strong safety. There, There are guys that, yeah, I think could have been at the collegiate level, possibly, Elite quarterbacks and strong. There's a lot of these guys I look at, like Bo Nix. Like, yeah, that dude could be a strong safety too. But to but to do it and put their body through it, not going to happen. Right. Just it too just, much trauma, too much violence. All right, question number three. But uh, that should not. That should not diminish. Like, why why don't we talk about Otani like Babe Ruth? Why are we not doing that every we are. day? Stacy got a Ouija board to ask Babe Ruth whether or not he was better than Otani. That's a bit much. Though. Is it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she bought it on Amazon just to, you know, ask the babe sure. about Shohei. Sure. It feels a little, a little much. Remember, I said I was jealous of them being out of practice. I was kind of jealous of that bit. That's pretty is that good because bit. he plays for the Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles? Honestly, no, is it because Brock, we talk about it all the time? Not really. Yes, not really. really. Yes, no, really. Not, no, yes, don't. really. Uh-uh. You and I don't, but people do. No, people no, are no. talking. Tom Bergeron. All right. Question number three, Brock. My God. After a news cycle yesterday dominated by Sean Payton torching, absolutely laying waste to everybody who had been there last year in Denver. Yep. Why? Why did he do it? By the Teams, way, including GM, yes, who are all still there. They're all still there. Why? Why did he do them? Why it did was, he do that? It is an old school 80s, 90s Parcells. <laughs> I watched Holmgren do some of this. Right, it's all on me. You put it on me. And in fact, well, that's the NFL level. Remember this guy yeah. in Stillwater, Oklahoma? Where are we at in society today? Come after me. I'm a man. I'm forty. I'm not. A, I'm not a kid. Write something about me. Write something about me. Is that what you meant? Yes, it's about me. 
you put it all towards me. I don't want anything on Russell. I don't want anything on my players. I am the man. I- I'm going to ride the elevator by myself. I'm going to be the. I'm going to be the show. You're going to go through me. Every this decision's going to go through me. Does it still work? I don't know, because the GM is still there. He's a nice man. He's John Schneider's best friend, and he should be all of our best <laughs> friends in Seattle for what George Payton did. And and he just blasts him. Well, Demonte Leach is the team president. Smart guy. Played with him. Nice guy. What did he have to do with anything last year? Right. They want to put Hackett just catching strays. You want to put Hackett on blast? Go ahead. You want to put the Jets on blast? All right. It's going to make for an entertaining week five. But it is that old school mentality when yeah. you get paid nearly $100 million, when the league has suspended you and you hate Roger Goodell anyway, it emboldens you that much more to put it all on me. All right. There you go. That is today's Blue Tupac. 88. G's got some strong takes yeah. on what's going on with Sean Payton. He's going to join us at 830. Was it Tupac? All eyes on me? Uh, yes. Brock, yeah. I, w- I was thinking, though, as you were telling that story about Payton and, and your first day, I-, I was thinking about how it must have been very similar for you that day in April of 2009. Colin Molly getting home after your first day of work here at Seattle Sports being like, can't do it. I mean, when you see how good this guy is across the table from me and, like, yeah. the way he runs a radio show, like, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to compete. He's got opinions. He's got humor. I mean, he's kind of got it all. Well, it was in February and I'm nodding we on the met. radio. Like, I don't see how I could possibly yeah. do this. I mean, it was in February we met. We did our demo. You were one of 13. I don't know if you know that or not. You were one of many that came through those doors. Am I allowed to share this story? Is, share whatever you want. It's been 14 years. Yeah, I think limits have passed. So there was a country music star guy. There oh, was, wow. Oh, yeah. There was a sports guy. There's a, there's a guy doing it now. Ashley on the syndicate now. There were all yeah. sorts of guys and I know gals two of those. and gals. I don't know the third. Who's and the country gals. guy? Yeah, I, I don't remember. But nice was guy. The guy who came in here and did work that time. Mm. He was a nice guy. What's that yeah, guy's he name? He was a Wisconsin guy. No, oh, okay. different guy. Uh, uh-uh. uh, no, and it wasn't him either. But there were a lot of candidates, and so that was like all of February. And then in March, I sat down right down the hall in a meeting there with all the head honchos. And like, well, what do you think? I'm like, I think I could work with 12 of them. I think <laughs> they were like, perfect. Yep. I think I could work with 12. That guy from Boston. Mm-mm. Yeah, I told Molly, work. I called Molly. It was like, can't do it. Won't do it. And guess who? Starting in April. Oh, yeah. of Here we are. That's why he said, I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to do this ever. Uh-huh. I didn't say it was because I was so talented. No, oh. so talented. Like so good. You mean to say we had other choices? Oh, yeah. You guys could have had Nick Wright. You kidding me? You guys could have had nationally syndicated big time talent like no, Nick Wright. No, I, no. And instead, uh-uh. you got no. stuck with me. To be fair, Nick wasn't one of them. Oh, really? Well, no, Nick uh-uh. was up for the job, though. Yeah, well, he didn't demo. He didn't. Oh, uh, he didn't. He didn't even uh-uh. make it to that point. No, maybe he looked at me. and was like, shows uh, you uh. just how bad Owen was at doing this job because Nick Wright would have been a much better choice than me. <laughs> Nick's like as talented as it comes in this business. No, Mike, that's not it at uh, all. No, all right, no. All right. we got to run. Kobe Bryant's going to join us next. G Scott at eight thirty. It's Brock and Salk's Sports on seven ten.